0: Welcome everybody to the Campus Preacher Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Durrell. This is episode 30, The Gospel and Thought Terminating Cliches. i when that, that the might well come before. I gotta admit, cold. I think with that uh, all say, away. freak band, The Sower coming in. I do think that is the best introductory music, kind of gets me hyped to want to give the uh, podcast. This is the Campus Reach Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, flfnetwork.com or crosspolitic.com until we get the full transition down and I am broadcasting currently in Lebanon, Ohio, and I will be heading west this week. And My campus uh, semester gets under week. This is the most excited I've been uh, for campus preaching in a couple years. I'm usually pretty excited once the semester gets underway and as I come into the semester, but a um, handful of things have just kind of happened. Basically, what it boils down to is I've received a handful of Uh, emails or texts from students that I've met in the past asking uh, when I'm going to return to their campus or when I'm going to be in their area And um, even talking to a couple other campus ministers, it seems that very early on in the semester, um, they've had a more positive uh, response uh, than maybe in semesters past, students that are interested. So maybe that's a sign of things to come, and hopefully by the grace of God, it will be a uh, semester filled with uh, evangelism, conversions, and people being built up in the faith. And today what I want to talk about is evangelism and thought-terminating cliches. As I get into uh, the semester, one of the things... Um, that happens to me on a daily basis, and I'm sure anybody doing evangelism, they they bump into almost like impenetrable cliches that the unbeliever uh, will throw out. And a couple weeks ago, in a uh, Twitter discussion, a Twitter thread, I saw somebody reference thought-terminating cliches, and they pointed back to a book um, by a guy named Robert J. Lifton. He wrote a book called Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, a Study of Brainwashing in China. And, uh, so that made me go hunt down that book and I've only kind of been thumbing through it and I haven't read all of it, but, uh, chapter 22, um, is the chapter there. He talks about thought terminating cliche. So I want to talk about, um, I'm going to kind of give a broad overview of that chapter. Um, I'm going to spend a little more time on that strand of thoughts. I think it's important, uh, to our evangelism. It's very important to what I do on a college campus because when we're evangelizing, there are several different layers of what is going on. And when you are interacting with people who I don't want to overstate the case, but in very broad terms have been brainwashed in a way. Um, and so I do think that uh, th- there is a strain of thought that is kind of uh, brainwashed into the average American it's just the way these people believe and they don't know how to think outside of it. And when things bump up against it, um, they just kind of, it's met with cliches, and I do believe that people on the right and people on the left both do this, and so I'm going to talk, talk about that a little bit, but uh, before I get to that, there was uh, something I came across earlier today, just a Ricky Gervais, or Gervais, Gervais? Ricky Gervais, the British comic who was, I guess, the original office guy. He, I saw a tweet of his, which led me back to the article that it was originally in. And it's from the Wall Street Journal back all the way in 2010. And it's called A Holiday Message from Ricky Gervais, Why I Am an Atheist. And, um, you know, he gives basically, he talks about how being at eight years old, his 11-year-old brother came in, asked him why he believed in God, and within the next hour, he no longer believes in God. Um, I'm not sure what arguments his uh, l- brother, eleven years older, uh, gave him, or what he really thought was logical and reasonable and everything else at that time. Uh, but anyway, that's where he was at. But there was a uh, there was a tweet I came across that um, I think is so common in these discussions, and it's so frustrating um, because it, the the comment was linked to an interview with Ricky where he basically just says, oh, if you were born in India, you'd be a Hindu. And if you're America, you're a Christian. And, you know, Saudi Arabia, you'd be a Muslim. Interesting how that works. But on the flip side, isn't it also interesting that here Ricky is a secular atheist in a Western liberal democracy? Isn't it interesting how that works? Um, And so it's just, you know, those those sorts of things are kind of frustrating because anytime, and, and within that, I also want to admit there is a grain of truth to it. We are all we all, generally speaking, believe in democracy because we were raised in a democracy, plain and simple. If we're in a monarchy, the odds of us believing in a monarchy would uh, probably be fairly strong, etc. And so um, any time, though, you want to boil someone's beliefs down to uh, their cultural conditioning, um, the objection that that individual is raising to you um, – is easily met with the same objection that you just believe what you believe because of the culture around you. And so now that we're a predominantly agnostic ish e. Uh, culture, and, and I, I realize polls might say, you know, 56% of Americans or 60, 60% of Americans believe in God. Um, it, it's usually some vague spirituality, and even those who claim to be evangelicals, the theology is pretty poor. And even poor Ricky, you know, he's eight years old, so you want to give the guy a little bit of grace, but he was talking about how Jesus was his uh, superhero and everything else, even greater than God. Well, that's not Orthodox uh, Christianity. Anyway, uh, the, the comment I know, I, the thing I just wanted to comment on, he says this as an atheist, I see nothing wrong in believing in a God. I don't think there is a God, but belief in him does no harm. If it helps you in any way, then that's fine with me. It's when belief starts infringing on other people's rights when it worries me. I would never deny your right to believe in God. I would just rather you didn't kill people who believe in a different God, say, or stone someone to death because their rule book says their sexual, sexuality is immoral. It's strange that anyone who believes in an all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient power, responsible for everything that happens, would also want to judge and punish people uh, for what they are. Um, so that idea, kind of going back up to the top, the part where he says, as an atheist, I see nothing wrong in believing in a God. I don't believe there is a God, but believing in him does no harm. If it helps you in any way, then that's fine with me. It's when belief starts infringing on on other people's rights when it worries me. What's fundamentally wrong with that sentence? Um, It's this. The idea of rights, where where do these ideas come from? So in the context of a Western liberal democracy all over the West, even in now pagan Europe, there, our understanding of rights and the individual and all that sort of stuff uh, grew out of the context of Christendom. It wasn't something that just happened overnight. So even when Ricky wants to talk about rights, I would simply ask, what is a right? Has anyone? Is there any evidence for rights? Um... And when he, whenever argument he wants to put forward, um, rights are basically become like a god. They're going to be invisible. Um, no one can see, taste, touch, or feel them. Uh, you, you can't find them under a rock. He can't take you anywhere. You can't uh, conjure them up in a, in a lab. And so he wants to be scientific. He can't find them scientifically, etc. And so when he wants to smuggle in people's rights, we just want to ask, where do these rights come from? And what we want to do in turn is show why it's in the context of a god and man being the image of god, not... Uh, Uh, the byproduct of 3.8 billion years of evolution that we come to understanding uh, the dignity of man, the nature of man, and uh, the things that end up giving us uh, some level of rights, even as a Christian, I might be questioning the concept of rights, broadly speaking, especially as they're beginning to be used in Western liberal democracies and set up as this uh, humanistic thing. But in general, I think it is uh, something similar is found that a declaration of independence that we're endowed by our creator with certain uh, inalienable rights, that that's kind of the foundation of that thing. So anyway, I came across that, and I just thought, oh, I'll make a quick comment on it as we get into uh, today's sh- the, the heart of today's show, which is the idea of a thought terminating, uh, cliche. And so, um, as I get into that, so what is a thought, uh, terminating cliche? Well, before I get into that, actually, um, what I want to look at here is, um, so there, it's actually a really, uh, good book, um, that I'm referencing by Robert J. Lifton, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. And basically he's looking at, um, brainwashing in communist China and the tools and the mechanisms they use to control, uh, Prisoners and even the intellectuals, and basically the whole environment, and it becomes this uh, totalizing phenomena. Now, when you read a book like this, there's a certain level as a Christian where I'm kind of like, ah, eh, well, Christianity is totalitarian. Um, not in the uh, statist, controlist sort of way, but as Christians, we believe that God's the creator of the heavens and the earth, and as the absolute sovereign over all things. Um, his rule and reign touches everything. So there's a total aspect to it. So for many outsiders, and so here's the thing that we need to understand. As outsiders, when uh, they—so say when a total unbeliever reads this chapter, he's going to think, the Christians. As a Christian, I read this chapter, and I think, ah, the lefties, the the folks of the Enlightenment, the Muslims, anybody who's not us. So there's a sense in which, like all things— uh, they kind of apply to both sides. And I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned this before in this podcast, but uh, R.J. uh Google uh, the Society of Satan, and I believe it's a two-part PDF file you can find online, R.J. Rushduni, the Society of Satan. And in part one of that um, article, the opening chapter, he basically says that all men uh, live in the triune God's world, and because of that, all men must substitute the categories that God has given us, either with the truth or something false and part of our evangelism is identifying uh, the false theory of atonement, or the false theory of sovereignty, or the false theory of law, expose it, call people to repentance, and stuff it with the true. And so um, when I read a book like this, um, I believe there's a lot of truth to it, that it takes, um, you know, something like communism, and it shows how it is this uh, totalitarian philosophy in the a, in, a, in the worst sense of the word, and how they have to brainwash people uh, to get them there. And but in this process, he lays out in this chapter, it's called ideological uh, totalism, and he lays out um, eight different things uh, that basically take place for ideological uh, totalitarianism. And I'm, I'm going to read the opening uh, paragraph of this chapter and just kind of uh, kind of set the context. Lifton says, thought reform has a psychological momentum of its own, a self-perpetuating energy not always bound by the interests of the program's director. When we inquire into the sources of this momentum, we come upon a complex set of psychological themes which may be grouped under the general heading of ideological totalism. By this ungainly phrase, I mean to suggest the coming together of immoderate theology or ideology with equally immoderate individual character traits, an extremist meeting ground between people and ideas. In discussing tendencies toward individual totalism within my subjects, I made it clear that these were a matter of degree, and that some potential for this form of all-or-nothing emotional alignment exists within everyone. Similarly, any ideology, that is, any set of emotionally charged convictions about man and his relationship to the natural and supernatural world, that's going to include us Christians, may be carried by its adherence in a totalistic direction." But this is most likely to occur with those ideologies which are most sweeping in their content and most ambitious or messianic in their claims, whether religious, political, or scientific. And where totalism exists, a religion, a political movement, or even a scientific organization becomes little more than an exclusive cult. And so, I, 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 you know, like I said, I think we Christians— can easily be identified under this label, in uh, to some extent. So, uh, and and even this book can be found online. So, if you were to Google um, "thought reform and uh, the psychology of totalism PDF," you can find it under the archive.org. And this whole chapter is worth reading. Um, but he identifies eight things that deal with ideological. Uh, Totalism. One of them is uh, the milieu control, and that's basically kind of the total control of the environment. It's kind of, um, I would say, to some extent, kind of the uh, PC. Uh, And all these things are kind of related, I think, to uh, to when I think of a college campus, of how they're trying to control all the mechanisms of uh, communication. The one thing that's going to be a little more maybe adapt to religious groups than to, say, maybe a straight-up secular one, although in Marxist ideas of history, um, this one applies, but there's also uh, mystical manipulation. So think along the lines where uh, maybe a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, and a Christian are, let's just say, we're in the Bahamas and we're praying that the hurricane doesn't currently hit us, and then it doesn't hit us, or it does hit us, and uh, say the next door to us is Mormons, and it doesn't ruin their property, but it's destroyed our Christian property, Uh, and the Jehovah's Witnesses also aren't touched, and then Jehovah's Witnesses go home, and they say, hey, look, um, we prayed, and uh, the, the hurricane did not destroy us. The Mormons go home and say, look, we prayed, and the it didn't destroy us, and we go home and say uh it destroyed us, but we trust God's providence, etc., etc. etc. And so that's kind of the mystical manipulation that kind of backing the totalitarian ideology is uh there there's some means of control. And um for the communists it was uh the state that is able to control things. Um the demand for purity is another thing, and that's uh you know, you see that heavily, heavily, heavily with our cancel culture, uh anybody who steps out of line. Um I don't know if I can totally recommend it, because there's a lot of foul language and stuff like that, but uh, and a handful of people message me and say, hey, you got to watch the new Dave Chappelle special, and it's pretty funny, mm-hmm. and one of the things he mentions in there, so he talks about being able to do two impersonations, one, the Founding Fathers, he ends up dropping the M-bomb, and the other one, he's like, all right, guess who I am? the uh, If you uh, ever do anything wrong, I'm going to ruin your life. I don't care if it was five years ago, ten years ago, I'm going to ruin your life. And uh, he goes, who am I? And the crowd yells out, try. And he goes, no, I'm you. Uh, and so he talks about how pathetic they are and basically our culture is that we want to cancel anybody. So that's part of the demand uh, for purity. And then he also talks about the, the cult of confession. Um, think of anybody being dragged uh, before the media and apologizing for something they said on Twitter or something they said 15 years ago, uh, be it Kevin Hart uh, apologizing for something he said about the gays or something like that. So there's uh, the cult of confession. Um, confessions, um, one of the other ones, uh, that's an important aspect to this. uh, the sacred science, he says, the tallest milieu maintains an aura of sacredness around its basic dogma, holding it out as an ultimate moral vision for the ordering of human existence. This sacredness is evident in the prohibition, whether or not explicit, against the questioning of basic assumptions and in the reverence which is demanded for the originators of the word, uh, the parent bearers of the word, and the word itself. So like in our context, I think something like equality is uh, and diversity are easily... Um, kind of ideas that, uh, are vitally important that you can't, if you question it, you're just, just dead wrong. Um, and then kind of moving on from there, he touches on the loading of language and that's going to be the thought terminating, uh, cliche. And then one thing I think is important and, and as Christians, we want to learn to do it both end, but it just says doctrine over person. And so the, the ideology, the communist doctrine or whatever it may be, um, becomes all-consuming, then he brushes on the the dispensing of existence. And so anyway, under the ideological totalism, uh, he presents those eight things. And one of the main, like all of them are pertinent to our evangelism, uh, especially if you're doing it in the context of a college campus, and especially if you are interacting with people of a radically, a self-consciously different ideology. And I would say the American left, more so than the American right, have a self-conscious ideology and follow these things a bit more faithfully, because they're trying to change a culture and change everybody's mind, and so they're trying to get people uh, staunchly into these things. So what is the um, idea of a uh, thought-terminating cliché? And it's this. The language of the totalist environment is characterized by the thought-terminating cliché. The most far-reaching and complex of human problems are compressed into brief, highly reductive, definitive-sounding phrases easily memorized and easily expressed. These become the start and finish of any ideological analysis. In thought reform, for instance, the phrase bourgeois mentality is used to encompass and critically dismiss ordinary troublesome concerns like the quest for individual expression, the exploration of alternative ideas, and the search for perspective and balance in political judgments. And in addition to their function as interpretive shortcuts, these cliches become what Richard Breaver has called ultimate terms, either God terms, representative of ultimate good, or devil terms, representative of ultimate evil. In thought reform, quote-unquote progress, quote progressive, quote liberation, proletarian st- uh, standpoints and the dialectic of history fall into the former category. Capitalist, imperialist, exploiting classes, and bourgeois mentality, liberalism, morality, superstition, greed, of course, fall into the latter. Totalist language, then, <clears throat> excuse me, is repetitiously centered on all encompassing jargon, prematurely abstract, highly categorized, relentlessly judging, and to anyone but its most devoted ad, uh, advocate, deadly dull. In Lionel Trilling's phrase, the language of non thought. And so when I'm on a college campus, um, Serious. If I had a dollar for every time I've been met with uh, hate speech, um, and all I gotta do is ask, what particular I said that's hateful, um, they can never actually illustrate what I've said. Homophobia. What exactly do I believe that's homophobia? Homophobic and um, uh, bigotry, misogyny, sexism, racism. Um, all these things are in reality thought-terminating cliches, and what they what they uh, seek to do is immediately dull and limit and deaden the conversation and put up a wall and a barrier. So what we need to learn to do is communicate to those who are utilizing the thought-terminating cliches. Two things, I would say. First of all, recognizing that these things exist. It's just kind of a helpful category to have. And obviously, someone can throw out thought-terminating cliché, and it can become a thought-terminating cliché. So um, aside from that, though, when people throw out things, and I also want to say that the people on the right do it, too. Over the weekend, I had a brief exchange with somebody on uh, Twitter, regarding, uh, cultural Marxism or critical race theory, uh, rather. And I was amazed at how quickly, um, they want to call something critical race theory without any form of analysis of what is actually being said. And then they just call it critical race theory and hope to be done with it and not actually engage it. And it was actually pretty disappointing because these are people who are, you know, uh, are Christians and, uh, at least I th- you think they want to, um, be as honest as they can with their, uh, opponent's position. And that's one of the things that's going to help us uh, prevent us from uh, utilizing thought terminating cliches and being thoughtful is a long time ago, a guy ma- named by the uh, the name Dr. Art Lindsley, who wrote Classical Apologetics with R.C. Sproul. I took a class with him in Washington, D.C. And one of the things that he said that was just vital is he said, you always want to state your opponent's position to their satisfaction. And when you're able to do that, you're not going to be given over to thought-terminating cliches. Now, obviously, as Christians, we have confessions <clears throat> and we have creeds that are g- they're not thought-terminating, uh, but they're going to help us organize our thought. And everybody needs those things. So, in of itself, the idea that we have Jesus as Lord—you uh, could say it's cliché—but you, you, even in even that, you notice when people use it as a cliché, when people are uh, thinking it through and the implications. And so. As I uh, begin to pack up and start to head out on college campuses, I'm glad that a few weeks ago I stumbled across this term and I stumbled across this book um, because I really feel like there's a certain level um, that all eight of these things really apply to a college campus and especially and particularly the left on a college campus because they're the ones who are more ideological totalitarian and they're the ones who are more self-consciously offering up a messianic Outlook as uh, Lifton uh, lays out here. So, if you get a chance, check out that chapter in that book, and hopefully, uh, the idea of a thought-terminating cliche will be useful in your evangelism as you talk to people. And people throw out certain things that are abstract, um, <coughs> deadening, and kind of short, uh, kind of short-lived expressions and phrases. You can begin to see, okay, they're utilizing a thought-terminating cliche, and then what you need wisdom for and what you need to learn to do is how do we break through that? And hopefully uh, next week I'm able to give some uh, examples of how you go about doing that, uh, rhetorically interacting with those things. So anyway, that's this episode of the Campus Reach Podcast. And so if you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I am racing out to Idaho, and I'll probably stop in a state or two. I'm in Ohio. I'm going to head out tomorrow morning on my way to Idaho for the weekend and maybe a little bit longer. Um, So if you're between here and there, if you're in Idaho, Washington, Washington. Uh, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota. Uh, holler, at, holler at me. Maybe we can meet up. So, any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, uh, feel free to reach me uh, on the Twitter, Campus Preacher, uh, or Campus Evangel, or you can email me, Keith at campuspreacher.com. Until next week, talk to you. Bye. when that the harvest might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way, there's no time to be going slow. Hurry, take what you've got, do with it what you can.